the holiday travels and uh, after our morning worship ends here, Jennifer and I are headed to Tennessee. Others are going to be on the road. Gary and Terry Jean are headed down to Florida for a period of time. And I've talked to others that are going to different different uh, locations as well. So uh, we hope that everybody's travels will be safe and there will be no problems involved in that. All right, let's open our class with prayer. Will you pray with me? Our dear God and our Father in heaven, we're so thankful for the blessings you've given us on this Lord's Day morning. We're thankful, Father, for the opportunity to be together and to study from the prophet Isaiah. We pray that as we study this morning that we will have a better understanding of the message that you've communicated to us through that inspired book. Thank you for the church that assembles at this meeting place, for the men that serves as her elders. We are thankful for the deacons and their work and all the members that work together to make the body of Christ function smoothly here. We thank you for Jesus, and it's through his name we pray. Amen. All right, as we look at Isaiah, obviously we cannot spend much time going uh, verse by verse or even by sections of chapters as I enjoy doing. So what I'm attempting to do is to give you a basic survey, and then from that I would like for you to go back through and read and study and consider Isaiah more. The first three lessons will offer us a basic skeleton from which you can flesh out other studies on Isaiah. Let me just review these lessons for you. The first of the, uh, the series began with a lesson about redemption. Isaiah says God is offering salvation to mankind. It doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter how bad you are. It doesn't mean, matter how great your sins are. All can be saved. Man thinks that's impossible, but not with God. From redemption, then, we come to the concept that we discussed last week, the remnant. God has offered salvation to all men, Titus 2.14. Not all men are going to accept and receive that. Of those that accept and receive salvation, from within that number, there will be those that will apostatize and they will forsake what they've committed to do for God. And so you will have in that group that's been called out from the world, you're going to have those that have left the world identified with Christ, but then they have gone back. They have returned as this, the pig to the wallet, as uh, the Bible will tell us. They will not persevere. But in that same group, Isaiah says there is a remnant, and that remnant will be those that are committed and dedicated to God. Salvation is based not upon identification, but upon fidelity. Identification as sons of Abraham. Christ says God can raise sons of Abraham from these rocks if he wanted to. Identification is critical, but identification is not the, the, uh, the point of salvation. There are those that are identified with that of the called out. They're a part of God's church, but they have left the church. 
And so salvation is not based upon identification, but upon fidelity. And that's what the remnant is. The remnant is not those in the world. In the world, you'll have folks that say, well, obviously not all in the world are going to be saved. God has just his people. And they want his people to include any religiously inclined person. That is not what the remnant teaches. The remnant is identifying those that are God's people that are loyal and committed and they demonstrate an unwavering fidelity to God's will. And that brings us then to the point of the lesson today. You have redemption offered. You have the remnant that is identified. And the critical point of all of this is God's request throughout Isaiah and that is that you be a part of that remnant. You, you obey so that you are identified as the remnant of God. God's impossible salvation is found only by those that are willing to obey. Now, from these three lessons, we will, uh, in, in subsequent lessons, come and, and uh, flesh these out a little bit further. But if you want a good message from Isaiah, here are three points. Redemption, remnant, and request. That sums up the prophet. And it's so practical to, as we'll see in the lesson today. God's request to obey is not just made without any kind of, of reasoning. Isaiah 1, God says, come now, let us reason together. Whenever God asks us to do something, He always gives a reason. There's always the, the requirements that are behind that. Here's why you need to do that. Similar to a parent who is trying to reason with a child. Now, you just don't do that. Why? Because that child needs to understand if they do this, they are endangering themselves and endangering others. They need to understand. Isaiah is using that same principle. Come now, let us reason together. Though your sins be as scarlet, they can be as white as snow if you consent and obey, as we'll see in a little bit later. Our motivation, why are you here today? Why are you a part of God's church? Why have you obeyed the God? Why were you baptized? What is the motivation for that? Do you know? I've talked to folks that were baptized and they said, I really don't understand or I don't remember why I was baptized. Do you? Do you understand? Maybe you're here this morning and you've never obeyed the gospel. If so, I want you to listen especially close to the, to the points that we're making. Until we're motivated to obey God, all instruction is going to be shrugged off with indifference. You've got to have the, the proper motivation. Uh, God expected His message to motivate His people to do something, and that's what this lesson this morning will uh, discuss. Those that hear God's Word must listen with sensitivity and respond with eagerness. You may not want to do it. You may not like to do that. But this is God talking. And you better do what God says to do. Modern man, Isaiah is telling us, must heed and hear the points of the prophecy as well. 
Man's imperative duty is to obey God's commands. Isaiah 1, we've already referenced this. Isaiah chapter 1 there in verses 18 and 19. The Bible says, Come now, let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are as scarlet, they will be as white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they will be like wool. If you consent and obey, you will eat the best of the land. But if you refuse and rebel, you will be devoured by the sword. Truly, the mouth of the Lord has spoken. Without obedience, there's only separation from God. The nation of Judah had failed to obey God sincerely. They practiced a religion, but it was a lifeless religion. No genuine desire. They went through the, the, the rote uh, methodology of it. They did it because that's what the ritual said for them to do it. Their heart was far from it. Now Jeremiah will say in Jeremiah 31, I will give them a new law and I will write this on their hearts. Not talking about the fleshly lobe within us, but talking about our minds and our reasoning and our, our decision-making processes. Israel did not decide to obey God because it was from their heart. They decided to obey God because it was a convenient thing that was practiced with complacency. I wonder today, when it comes to worship and, and practice of religion, is it done because it's convenient and we just do it from a complacent attitude or do we do it eagerly? That's what God, John 4, God is a spirit and those that worship him must worship him in spirit and truth. Why? God desires that kind of response. God, well, I'm, I'm getting off, off base now. I really got a lot to cover. And so if we don't get it, go online and uh, you'll get the full content of these notes. But there's a lot to do. But we must obey God from our hearts. And so the prophet sought to stimulate Judah to respond to God from the right motives. I've known folks that want to be baptized, well, because mama was just forcing me to do it. She won't let, let go of me. Or my husband and my wife has been nagging me, and maybe this will just hush them up. Or I've seen gospel meetings where you'd have a whole pew of kids that suddenly would file out and go down and be baptized. Why? They were doing it because everybody else was doing it. That's not the response and the motivation that Isaiah says we need to have. We need to serve God from the right motives. And if you're not serving him from the right motives, you might as well not serve him at all. You're offering up blasphemy to him. Uh, don't offer him religious actions unless you've got the heart to back it up. That's what he, he, uh, Malachi will tell us. We'll reference that in just, just a moment. But the lesson applies in a very practical way today. Look at these points. Religion of convenient self-satisfaction and not genuine heart devotion is going to be refused by God. Hearts are similar to the hearts of the worshipers in Isaiah's time. Hearts of worshipers today. Many people worship not because of desire and not an eagerness to bow down to the almighty sovereign God. But they worship out of convenience or they worship out of, of some kind of motivation. Just watch what happens 
on December 24 and 25 or look at what will happen on Easter. We have a ritualistic pattern, a custom that takes place. And Isaiah says this is not what God wants to take place. Many today will offer services that are not acceptable to God, and yet they feel that they are. Many understood that they should, but do not understand why they should obey God. Now think about that. They, they know that they should obey God, but why should they obey God? And that all comes down to a point of communication. And Isaiah and his prophecy will help us to, uh, to understand that. Here's the summary. Here's where we're going in case we don't get there during this class period. But there are six reasons Isaiah gives us as to why we ought to obey God. And we're going to go through each one of these. Number one, we need to obey God to avoid the woe of the wicked. Now Isaiah is often seen as a very positive prophet, but as you read through his prophecy, you're going to find Isaiah was very upset. And he was very blunt in what he was saying. Isaiah points out that all are guilty of sin and they're going to face divine wrath. And we'll, toward the end of the study, we'll see what Isaiah says about the judgment of God. Uh, some, some very sobering thoughts at that point. But the reality that Isaiah brings out is that those that do not obey God, first of all, cause God great agony. And number two, they cause themselves and even greater agony. Ezekiel 18.23 says, Do I have pleasure in the death of the wicked, declares the Lord God, rather than he should turn from his ways and live? God doesn't want anyone to die. John 3 teaches that. He sent his only begotten son, that none would perish. And yet there are those today that deliberately reject that wonderful gift and they do not follow God's will and the tears of God are often forgotten and in fact the callous sinner or the apostate Christian they don't understand how they're breaking the heart of God and that ought to cause us great concern and it ought to uh, ought to motivate us uh, to be concerned and not ignore uh, the eternal destiny that's awaiting those that fail to obey God. We sing a song. I don't know if it's in our hymn book here. Uh, but it, it says uh, something like this. Uh, when in that better land before the bar we stand, how deeply grieved our souls will be if someone there turns and says, you never mentioned him to me. You knew I was astray, you saw me day by day, but you never mentioned him to me. Uh, the words go something like that. On the judgment day, think about that. Will someone turn and say, you saw me day by day. You knew I was astray, yet you never mentioned him to me. Isaiah will not uh, be in that predicament because Isaiah was very blunt in what he was saying. The eternal punishment is a reality that is awaiting those that are not obedient to God. It breaks the Almighty God's heart, but God is going to sentence them to that, that eternal destiny. The divine offer that Isaiah gave them, save yourselves. 
look at the woes that are coming. And yet in Isaiah 30, in the first, uh, last part of verse 15, he says, you were not willing. That breaks the heart of God. It's shocking. How can you see something that is so clear, and, and you believed it, and yet you just turn and walk away from it? Israel was not willing. The Heavenly Father's heart breaks. You are not willing. Well, what contributes to this, this kind of condemnation? And here are three points, and I'd love to spend an entire lesson on each one of these three points. In fact, I have sermons on these, but uh, we're going to condense it into uh, uh, just a few moments right here. Three, three uh, terms are used by... Isaiah and Isaiah 24 verses 5 through 6 and let's look at these uh, these terms will show that one can deliberately break God's law and they think that they're not doing wrong they have a heart of rebellion toward the almighty God they profess to know God but by their actions they deny him Titus speaks about this Titus chapter 1 and verse 16 says they profess to know God, but by their deeds they deny Him. Listen to this. These are these people. They are detestable, disobedient, and worthless. That's, that's the judgment on the value of these people that will not obey God. Detestable, disobedient, worthless. Well, let's look at each one of these points. Transgressing of the laws of God. This... This Hebrew term means literally they have no respect for the basic guidelines of life. God has given us a rule of law that governs life. And that rule of law applies to everything. It applies socially, culturally, religiously, politically, you name it. And the rule of law that God has given us is applicable to every facet of, of earthly life. And that rule of law is binding on everyone. They may not follow it, but they're going to eventually, they will find that they are subject. Remember in the Nuremberg trials, if you, uh, if you recall, why was it that the fascist Germans were, were condemned to die? Because the Nuremberg courts said there is an overarching law. The Germans were saying, we were just doing what we were told. We were following the law. The, the court said there is an overarching law that is superior, and that law is the law of the Almighty God. And you're bound by that, even if you are part of a government uh, structure that denies it. Well, God's law is, uh, is universal, and God's law applies, even in religious world. In, the, in our religious activities, there are some that are self-centered and they act arrogantly and they take the rule of law that God's given us in the Bible and they transgress its restrictions. They think the law doesn't, is not binding to them. That may apply to you, but not me. See, I've grown in my understanding. You know, I, I just understand. And I appreciate the grace and mercy of God because... He's, he's going to be more lenient than you think that he's going to be. Can you imagine if Isaiah had heard that? The Hebrew term translated transgress means to cross over the line. 
back a number of years ago, it was common in the progressive uh, arguments for folks to say, you need to color outside of the lines. Think outside of the box. This is exactly what they were talking about. The word transgress. They were telling us you need to transgress when it comes to God's rule in regard to worship or God's rule in, to, in regard to gender activities and in regard to anything. You just need to color outside of the lines. Isaiah says God has lines that can't be crossed. And in English we still use this in the idiomatic saying that you crossed the line. And uh, if you've ever been with somebody and, and you cross the line that isn't to be crossed and you are in big trouble. I remember my mama saying, you know, you do this, I'll yank you up and jerk a knot in your tail. <laughs> never knew what that meant, never wanted to experience it, but I understood. Here's the line. You don't cross this line. And as far as I know, I didn't. I might have gotten close to it a couple of times. I was yanked up and jerked around, but never a knot in my tail. But Isaiah is saying here, now don't you transgress the commandments of God. Uh, the meaning is that one can, one assumes they're arrogant, and they arrogantly assume that they can go beyond what God says you can't go beyond. Uh, so much more could be said, but let's go on to the next is violating of statutes. The uh, violating of statutes refers to a deliberate change. It's not that they're unaware of what the Bible says. Just that they don't want to follow it. And so they're going to change it. And they are so arrogant that they modify the commandments of God. And this was going on in Isaiah's time. And, and Isaiah... What was happening in Isaiah's time is what was once wrong is now called right. And what they had done, they had redefined the statutes. And the word statutes refers to a command, an ordinance that is set down for behavioral guidelines. They had changed God's commands. The behavior that God said needed to be done, they said, oh wait, let's rethink this. Yes, God may have said that once, but now let's look at it in a different light. You better watch out because Isaiah says you're violating the statutes that God said. You cannot modify God's commands. And, and what happens is that you just turn everything up. Look at the next one, breaking of the, uh, the covenants. Whenever... You don't recognize the boundaries of right and wrong. You move the lines. You cross the lines. Whenever you <laughs> redefine the statutes of God, that leads you to this third point. You break the covenant. A covenant is that of an agreement that you have with God. You've agreed that you're going to follow God. You've agreed, yes, this is the constitution that I'll follow I will abide by His precepts and His principles. I will do as it commands. I will not do what it condemns. Well, whenever Isaiah was speaking, he said to the folks, look, you have broke the covenant that you've made with God. Isn't that amazing that people today 
think that they can live in any way with any lifestyle and be in a covenant relationship with God? That just blows my mind. How can you do this? And that's exactly what Isaiah was saying. These people had been able to redefine the statutes so that the exact opposite of what God had commanded was, was being done. And so they, in chapter 5 and verse 20, they, they call good evil, or evil good and good evil. They substitute darkness for light and light for darkness. And we see that too often in our culture today. Isaiah 1, verses 2, beginning, he says, Sons I have reared and brought up, but they have revolted. It's not that they were never apart. They have revolted. They left. An ox knows its owner, a donkey its master's manger, but Israel does not know. My people do not understand. They have abandoned the Lord. They've given up the commandments. They are not in a covenant with God. They have broken that covenant. God hasn't broken it. They've broken it. God says they have abandoned. They have despised the Holy One of Israel. They have turned away from Him. All of that is found in, in chapter 1, verses 2 through 4. And the inspired command is, you're turning things around. Uh, they had looked to God's commands they decided they didn't like the restrictions. They didn't like them. It was too inconvenient. After all, look at what is going on in my life. It's just too inconvenient. And so they decide, okay, I don't really need the relationship on that level, so let me dumb down my level with God, and I'll serve Him on this level, not on that level that I agreed to do. How sad... An amazing uh, fact is Israel never did learn. She never did understand this. Over in Malachi chapter 1 and verse 13, the prophet there says, you're kind of sniffing at my commandments. You're turning my nose up at my commandments. As if Israel had the choice in doing that. Well, the contemporary application of these points is, is so clear. Many today are doing exactly what Judah did. They decide that God's limits are not right, so they're crossing the line. They decide that God's statutes are not relevant, so they change the commandments of God. They decide that God's covenant relationship is too restrictive and ought to be more inclusive. Amazing article appeared yesterday in the Wall Street Journal. And in that, there was an article on Pope Francis' Christian message. And it's some, you need to look it up online. But in this, Pope Francis said, we've got to be more inclusive in the Roman Catholic Church. He said, you can't be rigid. You can't have the rigidity of doctrine that has always characterized that particular denomination. But he said, rigidity comes because of fear of change and hatred. Don't you love the way that just gets thrown in there? If you insist this is what God's Bible says, you're a hateful person. And there are, there are folks that's going to tell you that. You insist what the Bible, you're going to be called a hateful person. 
scornful person, a person that's too legalistic. He goes on, and in that, that article, at the very end of this article, the Pope says, behind rigidity lies derangement. Now, I love that. If you insist that it's got to be done, you're crazy. You're deranged. You don't have the, the proper balance whenever it comes to your mental health. This is the way the world looks. But in Isaiah's time, they did the same thing. Isaiah told them that you are, are you turned away from him, you despise the Holy One, and how great a tragedy that is. But even greater is the fact, total silence from God's people to those that have done this. Those that have turned away and treated God with a casual indifference or nonchalant, that, that pursue their own selfish agenda rather than following the statutes and commandments of God, They've despised the Holy One. They've turned away from Him. And they're being left to go on their own, their own way. The judgment day is coming. And we must be motivated to obey because there is a woe for the wicked. But there's also a woe for those that do not warn the wicked of their wickedness and urge them to turn from their wicked ways. Ezekiel tells us this. Well, let's go on. We need to obey because of the, the holiness of God. Now, we obviously need to obey because of our fear and, and dread of facing the Almighty God in hearing the woes. But we need to, to turn to God because of the holiness. Obedience because of the holiness of God is what God yearns for. God wants man to respond from loving devotion. The book of Hosea, is, uh, it's a wonderful book to study. It, it discusses the love of God. And, and in Hosea, God will tell Israel, I treated you as my own child. I taught you to walk. I taught you to speak. But you've turned away from me. The heartbreak of God. God demonstrated loving devotion to, to that nation, and yet they refused to honor that holiness. Religious services that lack this devotion are rejected by God. Isaiah 29, verses 13 and 14 says, Because these people draw near with their, lip, their words and honor me with their lip service, but... They remove their hearts far from me, and their reverence for me consists only in tradition learned by rote. Therefore, behold, the wisdom of their wise men will perish, and the discernment of their discerning men will be concealed. Malachi 1, as we referenced a couple of Sundays ago, Malachi 1, God says, just shut the doors, don't even come in. I don't want your worship if this is the way that you're coming before me. Our great God is a holy God and a majestic God. And yet the greatness, holiness, and majesty of God is treated with triviality by those in the world today. They think of God as some lucky charm. And many in the world today are as superstitious as those in the dark ages were. And they think they can pull God out as a lucky charm any time that they're facing problems in life. The holiness of God was downgraded in Isaiah's time 
to being equal with worldly factors. God had been trivialized, and there was no genuine concern for the holiness of God. All right, once uh, one comprehends the holiness of God, there's going to be instant obedience. Recognizing the holiness of God, here are some points, and again, each one of these we can take a lesson on. But when you recognize the holiness of God, number one, you're going to submit to it. That's what Isaiah did. Isaiah 6 talks about Isaiah's call to the prophetic office. And there, whenever Isaiah said, Woe is me, because I have seen the Holy One of Israel. Recognize the holiness of God is going to cause you to switch habits in your life. You're going to change. You're changing not because it's convenient and comfortable. You're changing because you want to be holy to God. You will be sanctified. Isaiah 29 makes this point. They will sanctify my name. Indeed, they will sanctify the Holy One of Jacob and will stand in awe of the God of Israel. Those who err in mind will know the truth and those who criticize will accept instruction. That's what sanctification is. You're setting yourself out or apart for God and then they will be secure. Isaiah 25, beginning in verse 1. This all comes by understanding the holiness of God. And in our worshiping assemblies and in our Bible classes, the focus ought to be to bring these results into our lives every time we come together. All right, look at a third point. We're halfway through. You need to obey God, and that means waiting for God. Isaiah word, Isaiah's words speak to those that were unsettled and irritated and impatient with God. Some often question the silence of God and wrongly, concern, uh, per, wrongly conclude that silence means God is not concerned about them. Well, the prophet urges us to remain trusting in God's word and not seek help from worldly sources. He says, I will wait for the Lord who is hiding his face. Isaiah's counsel is a counsel of patience. We need to remain trusting in the word of God. And whenever we trust in God, we may not see it right now. Remember Abraham and Sarah? They, by faith, by faith, we need to have that same same trust. Look at Joseph, his situation in Genesis. By faith, he waited on God. And that waiting is often a, a stressful and, and anxious process that comes in our lives. So what do we do? Again, here, here are some of the points, and, and um, I urge you to take the notes and look at them at, at home. As you're waiting for God, number one, express your trust in the Lord. Isaiah says, the steadfast of mind you will keep in perfect peace because he trusts in you. Trust in the Lord forever, for in God the Lord we have an everlasting rock. Several significant words are found there. Steadfast in mind will keep trust and the rock are what I highlighted in my Bible. But here the, the point is, you've got God as a rock. And that means God is unchangeable, unmovable. He is secure. It's a haven of protection. 
You can trust God for all of those things because He is your rock. Unfortunately, the world doesn't understand that. And the world will look, Isaiah 31, Isaiah says, Woe to those who go to Egypt to help, who rely on horses, trust in chariots, because the soldiers are very strong. And he says, they do not look to the Holy One of Israel. Isaiah 31 and verse 1 actually go all the way through verse 6 for a full discussion of it. But those in the world cannot find peace because they're not resting and waiting in God. They don't have the trust in God. Here's an interesting point further in Isaiah 31 verses 89. It says, the Assyrian will fall by a sword, not of man. He will not escape. And then listen to this, interestingly. His rock will pass away because of panic. We have a rock that's the Almighty God. Assyria had a rock, but it was far different. His rock will pass away, Isaiah 31, 8 and 9. All right, uh, the second thing, enjoy blessings from the Lord. Therefore the Lord longs to be gracious to you and, and waits on high to have compassion this is God talking. You wait on God and you wait because God is blessing you even now, even in your waiting process, God is blessing you. Number three, expect strength to, to endure. This is probably one of the more common uh, texts from Isaiah. Those who wait for the Lord will gain new strength. They will mount up with wings like angels. They will run and not get tired. They will walk and not become weary. Three metaphors are used by Isaiah. Number one, the, the elegant uh, eagle. And then you have the runner in the race, and then you have those that are just walking on, on uh, in everyday activities. There's a strength, Isaiah 40 says, is available to those that wait on the, wait on the Lord, is the point. If you need renewed strength and you wait on the Lord, you trust and obey. In the cruel contest of living and the routine matters of earthly existence, you can find strength. Isaiah 40, 31 is a, a verse of triumph and victory. Number four, as you're waiting, encourage faith to grow more devoted. Isaiah makes this statement in verse four, or chapter 41, verse 10. Do not fear. For I am with you. Do not anxiously look about you. For I am your God. I will strengthen you. Surely I will help you. Surely I will uphold you with my righteous hand. You need to think on that and highlight and underline a number of those phrases. Because God is giving you comfort as you wait. Many will not wait on the Lord because they're fearful. God says, do not fear. The devil uses fears to fuel our impatience and cause us to find rescue and a strength that is what we think our own hands and we forget God. And those fears are haunting. And probably everybody is, is wrestling with some of these fears. And that's what the devil wants you to do. But Isaiah says there's no enemy, a catastrophe, or upheaval in life that ought to shift your focus from God. What a wonderful encouragement that is for us. And although we're beset by multiple trials, God tells us there, do not anxiously look about you. I wish we had time to discuss that, 
the concept anxiety and how anxiety actually is from a, uh, a torturing uh, practice, just smothering and crushing a person to death. And God says, don't let the world crush you. You do not look about anxiously. Why? Because God said, I am your God. If he is, then don't worry about that. We are secured in safety by our faith and our trust in God. Isaiah 41 and verse 10 says, But you, my servant, my friend, you whom I have taken and said to you, You are my servant, I have chosen you and not rejected you. Do not fear, for I am with you. Do not anxiously look about, for I am your God. What a wonderful blessing that is. And in this, God says, He's talking to you. He says, I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you. Hebrews encourages us. Watch out for the weak knees and the hands that droop down. Here's the answer. Isaiah 41 and verse 10. Once we learn the benefits of waiting, we'll be motivated to obey God. We'll we'll find rich rewards. Okay, let's look. This is number four. Two more. Okay, we ought to obey to honor the sovereign controller, the Lord God Almighty. And as we look at this point, uh, the sovereignty of God is found really all the way through the prophecy of Isaiah. And you read through and you mark it, you'll see that that's the case. Why should we obey God? Number one, He is the Almighty Sovereign. Number two, a failure to obey is rebellion to the Almighty. Do you really want to be a rebel facing the Almighty Sovereign God? How strong are you? What can you do against God? A fool would make that choice. Isaiah is telling Israel, "You're, you're waging war against God. Satan's strategy in Isaiah's time and our time today convinced mankind that God's rules are not important And therefore, you can defy God's rule and not be punished. Or you can't. You just can't do that. You you must accept the fact that God is the rule. And uh, look at the supremacy of God. Uh, The supremacy of God holds nations accountable. God isn't just restricted to church services on Sunday. God controls every day of every month, of every year, of every decade, of century, of of whatever time period you want to put. God is there. He is from the beginning and He's he's before the beginning and He's going to be after the end of things here. Isaiah says, you know, some nations look pretty strong, pretty powerful. But he tells us they're really just a speck of dust. Whenever it comes, regardless of the wealth, political powers, military strength, they can't they can't trust in God. All creation is subject to God. Now, God is, has set forth certain elements in the creative process. Those elements that do not obey God will face the wrath of, will face the wrath of God. Have you ever thought why the earth is going to be destroyed? Because the prince of the powers of this earth has taken control of it. 
when sin came in, it corrupted the things of this world. And what we have in the world today is a world full of sin, and God can't tolerate that. And you see it all through. I believe sweet gum trees are a result of the fall myself. You step on them barefooted, and boy, what a pain they are. But not only that, you got a number of other things in the world that as a practical consequence shows us this world is not a home where I want to be. This world is in rebellion to God and because of that case, God is going to destroy it. All creation is subject to God. Because of the sovereignty of God, we better plan to cooperate with God. Whatever I plan in life had better be in accordance with what the Bible says. Isaiah 23, 8 and 9 points out that there were some that thought they were, were more intelligent than God. There the Bible says, Who has planned this against Tyre? And it's talking in context against the, the empire of Tyre there. Uh, but who has planned this? Here's a great, a great nation. And they were the world power. Well, they're going to be destroyed. Who's planned this? Well, verse 9, the Lord of hosts has planned it to defile, uh, defile the pride. Okay, let's quickly. Sin is going to be punished. Substitutes are going to be destroyed. Uh, to accept the offer of pardon is, uh, is number 5. This God is offering you pardon. Uh, let's go on. And then uh, number six uh, is the constancy of God. You know, as we look at this, here are, are four factors that remind us about obeying God. If you're here this morning and you are not obedient to God, do not leave here in that condition. Look at what Isaiah is trying to encourage you to do. Don't be like Israel. Obey and consent. Much more, but we're out of time. Thank you for being here. Lord willing, we'll uh, pick up the next lesson next week.